Praise the Lord. He is the glory and the lifter of our heads. Let's take our Bibles, if we would, and I want you to turn to a unique passage of Scripture in the Bible this morning as we continue our series on family matters. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to be in a couple of different places this morning uh, as we continue to talk about a very uh, sensitive topic for me, and that's parenting. Parenting. Uh, there is nothing quite so daunting as parenting, and there are never quite uh, uh, those moments of pride are so uh, overwhelming when you see your kids advance and they learn to talk and walk, they graduate. How many of you went to a graduation recently? Any, isn't that exciting? You see them walk across and they get the diploma, so proud. But I, I can tell you this, life's most embarrassing moments happen with your children as well, right? And you've had some of those when they're just pitching a fit at Walmart and there's not a thing you can do or they're, they're just throwing a tantrum or, and especially when they're 20-something, that's really bad. And, and uh, so you, you know that if you have parented and if you hadn't, uh, then proceed into parenting with great humility and with the principles that we're learning out of this passage today. And I am uh, going to recap a little bit of last week. And if you weren't here last week, can I just encourage you? Go to our app. How many of you have gotten our church app on your phone so far? Praise the Lord. The rest of you need to get right. Let's get this app. Uh, just look up on Google Play or uh, iTunes and find the Westside Baptist Gainesville app. You can live stream when you're on vacation. You can uh, give through that app. You can uh, look at the calendar. There's, also, there's a Bible on that app. It is really a great tool, so we encourage you uh, to have that. But last week, we talked about parenting in terms of a, of a vision that Solomon gave us. He said, like, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And we saw that he began that wonderful vision uh, with this statement. He said, listen, you've got to learn to rest in God before you can tackle that challenge. He said, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, retire late, eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. We've got to learn to rest in the Lord as we parent. But then he says we're going to have to rise to the challenge. And he gives us this vision of the children that we have as arrows. And when you have arrows, you need to shape them, to sharpen them, and then eventually you need to send them forth. Look what he says in verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, Psalm 127, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So here's the vision. And I think the vision that is in this... Uh, then this chapter of Psalm 127 is really uh, a, a big component of our vision for Westside. Is that we are to be a place where we make disciples of the next generation. The next generation become committed followers of Christ Jesus. They're straightened and sharpened. They're penetrating young people of great character. Something like this, and they are, they are shot out, launched out from your homes and from our church to make an impact on the, on the society. A quiver full, basically, of straightened, sharpened, penetrating young people. 
known by their character, known by their classiness, their moral and ethical convictions, and their commitment to Christ. That excites me. Does that excite you? You can be a part of that, but we're going to have to rise to the challenge as parents and as a church. There's a crisis that, is, that we're facing. But here's basically what he's saying. Look at this statement. The spiritual warriors of tomorrow are being shaped in the homes of today. The spiritual warriors, the spiritual weaponry of tomorrow that will win the spiritual battles to come are being shaped in the homes, your home, my home, our church today. That's a great vision But here's the crisis. Instead of penetrating the world, we're seeing a lot of our young people being penetrated by the world. Instead of making an impact on the world, they're being impacted by the world. Instead of sharpened arrows, we are producing in our homes and our churches something more like this. I had this out a couple of years ago. Do you all remember me shooting this arrow? It's a suction cup. It's a suction cup. And whatever you shoot it at, it just kind of gets stuck. Except right there. (laughs) Instead of sharpened arrows, what we're finding is that we're sending into the world suction cups. And they're getting stuck. Our young people are getting stuck. I'm reading a book now by Ben Sass about the disappearing adulthood of our nation. Great book, Vanishing Adulthood by Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska. And he's talking about these things and, and making a great case for them. But, but our young people are getting stuck in adolescence, never quite advancing on to adulthood. We'll be of the age of adulthood. We'll have adult jobs, but in our spirit and really in our minds, we've never quite escaped Adolescents, they're getting stuck on wrong ideas, wrong thoughts. They're getting stuck in a downward cycle of fruitless behavior. They're getting stuck in relationships, bad relationships, bad marriages, because we're not sending them out with the kind of character and the kind of convictions that they need to have. Well, why does this happen? Well, look at 1 Samuel chapter 13 with me. Let's look at 1 Samuel 13. This is a fascinating story to me. There is a battle waging in Israel between Saul, the king, and his son Jonathan, and the Philistines. Throughout their time in the promised land, the people of Israel never quite got rid of the Philistines. They were, they were like the terrorists of their day. They continually assaulted the Israelites. They were... Uh, if you were to compare it to us in, in, in terms of a spiritual, they are, they are the demonic. They, they are our spiritual battle. We are facing a spiritual battle the way Israel faced a continual battle with the Canaanites. And there's this fascinating thing, this little story that pops up in the middle of this, this text that uh, struck me. Look at chapter 13, verse 5, and it gives you an idea of the hopelessness of the situation, the desperation of the people. 
And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash at east of Beth-Avon. And when the men, men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, they rose up to fight. No. The people had hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed over the fords of the Jordan. They just kind of got out of the promised land, went back into Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, what? Trembling. This is the desperate situation. How did it get so bad? How, did it, how was it that when the Philistines attacked, the men, the families, hid in caves? The next verse, or verse 19, if you look down in the chapter just a little bit further, it'll give you an idea why. Verse 19. Now... No blacksmith could be found in all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make what? Swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines. I learned this early on. Whenever you see the the Israelites going down to Egypt, down anywhere, it's never a good thing. When you see him going up to Jerusalem, it's always a great thing. They went down to the Philistines. Why? Well, to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his hoe. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to fix the hoes. So it came about on the day of battle that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any of the people. Matthew Henry, the great old commentary points out uh, the political savvy of the Philistines. Slowly but surely, over the years, they had moved all the blacksmiths out of Israel. Slowly but sure, and they call them smithies, where the blacksmiths, and maybe you've seen a blacksmith in action. I've been and seen some real blacksmiths before. There's a place up in uh, Carolina. Has anybody been to the Biltmore? We used to go there every so often. It's a beautiful place. Well, if you go down into the back area of the Biltmore, down into the fields, there's a smithy. There's a blacksmith that does all the repairs and creates all the beautiful ironwork and, re- and keeps everything straight. And we watched him. I just watched him for about an hour one day with, the, with the, uh, the fire going and the anvil and the hammer, and he had big old thick hands, and, he, and it was hot. It was in the middle of July, and it was just amazing to watch this man in all the sweat and all of the, uh, the effort and all of the heat produce art, beauty. It was incredible what he could do. Well, the Philistines had convinced the Israelites slowly over time to let them be the blacksmiths. They gave it all away. I say all of that to say this. Parents are the blacksmiths of our nation. You are the ones assigned with sharpening the warriors of the future. You are the blacksmiths. And here's what I believe has happened in America. I believe it's happening. If we're not really careful, it can happen to us. And we have to fight this battle. The enemies, whether they realize their enemies or not, we know our spiritual enemies wants to take the sharpening of our children, the shaping of our children out of our hands. And wants to put it somewhere else. And we're too 
easy, we're too quick to hand over the responsibility of shaping the future into the hands of someone else. And so the call of today's message is a call to blacksmith parenting. To make sure that our homes are those smithies. To make sure that we do not forsake and give up and lose the art of parenting. So that we can produce the kind of spiritual champions that when called upon to battle, they're able to stand in college. They're able to stand and build other homes. They're able to make other disciples. And so I want to break this down sort of in the picture of a blacksmith today, if you'll let me. And there's a beautiful picture of, how, of, of this blacksmith parenting in the book of 2 Timothy. As we see Paul parenting in a spiritual sense his spiritual son Timothy. And so if you'll make your way over to 2 Timothy, let's think about blacksmith parenting just for a few minutes today. And I think you'll, it'll give you a visual, parents, and it'll give you a visual, grandparents, and of how... You and I, as the church and the home, we come together to help bring a sharp edge to our kids, to help them have character. We want, we want children, when they leave our homes, to, to penetrate and not get stuck. Get stuck. Notice what uh, the Apostle Paul uh, says, or what, how he uh, interacts with his spiritual child, uh, Timothy. Now, Timothy's a young pastor at this point. Paul is towards the end of his life. Somewhere uh, years before this, uh, Paul and Timothy had met, and Timothy had probably come to know Christ under Paul's teaching, and he was birthed into the faith, and Paul ministered to him early on, and, and they have since been separated and uh, time has passed, and Paul's in prison, and here's what he's concerned about most. Paul is in prison, and here's what he's thinking. I have launched some of my spiritual children, and I am in these last years of my life. And he thought it was towards the end, and it really was in his life. He said, in these last few years, I, I am praying that they make impact, that they don't get stuck. And, and in a sense, Timothy had gotten a little bit stuck he was stuck with a little bit of timidity, a little bit of fear. And here's the other thing that's happening. is in this very text where he's encouraging Timothy not to get stuck, he refers to some of his other disciples, his other spiritual children who had gotten stuck, who had defected from the faith. And he said, I, my prayer is that all of my spiritual children will fly straight will hit home, and will make an impact for the kingdom of God. So I think there's some great parallels in how he deals with Timothy. And, and, and this has sort of been a pattern for me over the years as I have dealt with my children. I've always kind of seen 2 Timothy as a, as a, a parenting model uh, in my life. The first thing that we must do, if we're going to be blacksmiths, if we're going to get involved in shaping the future, we have got to commit to the trade. We've got to determine it is our responsibility. You cannot hand off the formation of your child's heart, the formation of your child's mind, and their behavior to other people. Now let me just pause and say this. Our teachers are incredible, and they are awesome, 
And we praise the Lord for all of our teachers in whatever kind of schools they are. And we are so appreciative of them. But it is not their responsibility to put a sharp edge of character in the hearts of our children. That is our responsibility. Schools and churches are tools for you as parents, as families. They're tools. They are not substitutes. Say amen on that one. That's a good one right there. They're not substitutes. We are not to let our responsibility of being the blacksmiths move away. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach Others also. You hear what he's calling Timothy to do? He says, Call, Timothy, here's what I took. I took it as my responsibility to entrust into you the gospel. To help form you as a follower of Christ. I have entrusted that to you. Now, what's your responsibility? Your responsibility, your trade is to become a discipler of others just like I was a discipler of you. He's saying, Timothy... Embrace your responsibility. You are shaping the future. You need to find faithful men that you can entrust this and help shape their hearts and their minds for the journey. Let me just tell you this. If you have, now we saw this last week, children are a gift of the Lord. If you have children, you have grandchildren that are under your care in your family environment, and maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, or maybe you're, uh, somehow you're brought into the sphere of making impact upon the next generation. Listen, that is a gift of the Lord, but it is also a responsibility. And you cannot forsake that trade. You say, well, I don't like the heat. (laughs) I don't like the sweat. I don't like the tears. I don't like the hours. They're not shaping very easily. I want to quit. Perfect. That's right. Man, that same person's back. This, that same baby's back today. That is awesome. And Paul says, you've got, look at verse 3. You've got to share in the what? Suffering. It's not easy. You've got to commit to the trade. Look at verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Parents, there may be something today, listen, that you need to forsake and let go of and put down to fulfill your responsibility as the blacksmith in your home, as the shaping and forming agent in your home. What is it? I don't know what it is for you. I have to look at it for me in my life. And if there are things that are taking you away too much from your role as a father or as a mother, as an influencer on the next gen, you look at whatever that is, and I want you to look at it and very, consider very well that it is Philistine. It may be a good thing, but behind it, here's what I believe. 
I think behind it, the enemy who doesn't want to see the image of God grow in our children, doesn't want to see the kingdom filled up with with kids with character, the enemy behind this world and this world system and our own flesh even is against this. You need to identify that and say, I will not trade my children and my role for whatever that is. Because when the day of battle, and we're in a day of battle, you may turn around and realize we have no weapons and no warriors. Commit to your trade. Second of all, know your tools. You watch that guy in the smithy. You watch them for a while. It's amazing how they wield their tools. The number one tool in the formation of our hearts and the hearts of God. Paul was very clear about it. Look at 2 Timothy 3 verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The number one tool in our arsenal, parents, the number one tool in our blacksmith shop is the anvil of God's Word. I love the vision of the word being like an an anvil. We see it demonstrated as a sword and all sorts, but the anvil is the foundation of all of the smithy's work. It is firm, it is immovable, it is heavy. I thought about borrowing an anvil to carry up here, but thought better of it, right? Like, you know, it's, it's easier to carry an arrow. Why? Because it's weighty, it's heavy, it's firm, it's immovable, and so is God's Word. Paul says, don't forsake the writings which brought you to salvation. They brought you and made you wise to salvation, the anvil of God's Word. It's absolutely critical. And if you watch a smithy, uh, a blacksmith knows every angle of that of that. Uh, Uh, anvil and he works that metal whatever it is he's doing he's working around the edges the curves the flat parts he knows every part of that anvil like the back of his hand and he uses the word of God wisely like a blacksmith uses the the anvil to create the curves to create the impressions And God has given us this incredible tool. Do you know how to use it? We've got to make sure, parents, that we know the Word and are growing in the Word. There's so much I don't know, and I just want to grow even more in my understanding of His Word. I really believe character can only be formed in the metal of a child's heart and mind when placed against something real and solid, and true. The anvil has harder and immovable, and it is only against that which character can be formed. Then there's the hammer. The hammer of discipline and training. 
And so we've got God's Word, but we've got to do more than just have the Bible. We know that in a child's heart is bound up foolishness, and there is a need to be shaped and disciplined and trained. And the way that we do that is we use, um, we use the law, we lay down the law, we lay down boundaries, we create sort of molds, we say you, don't, you can't go here and go there, but within that you've got room, we spell out, this is what happens when you cross this boundary. Parents, here's a great rule. When they cross that boundary, whatever you said was going to happen better happen. If it does not, you've just made another rule. I don't have to obey my parents. They're not going to follow through. And so you have to follow through with that discipline and training. Training in different ways. Good blacksmiths. Now, I hesitate to use this illustration of the hammer because I know that there are parents who are abusive and who harm their children physically. And I would never, ever want to insinuate that we hammer our kids physically. There is a place, I believe, for spanking. There's a place for timeouts. But don't get physical. Don't get... And, and as a guy in particular, when you're frustrated and tired, uh, you tend to revert to that. And you can find yourself hammering, but it's not of the Lord. It's of your temper. And you can, you can crack and damage. You can hammer worse with your tongue than with the belt. Be very careful that you don't take this incorrectly because if you watch a blacksmith, he has a delicate touch. He has great timing. He knows where and when to apply the hammer. And he knows the quality of the raw material. He knows how moldable it is at every single moment. And I think a good parent is sensitive to the heart of each of their children because they're all different. Some of them need a, need a little more discipline than others. Some of them may require just a, a little bit of a firmer hand than others. Amen? And some, if you apply too firm of a hand, uh, it, it, it has the wrong effect. And so there is an art to this. That's why I love the idea of a blacksmith. You watch them. They're not just carelessly doing that. No, they, are, they know exactly what they're doing. They are applying with touch the discipline that they've learned over time. The third thing that they use so brilliantly that we must use as parents is heat. Heat is that which makes the, the metal moldable, softens it up. You know what softens up the hearts of our kids? Our experiences and emotions and the environment. And they're going through life and they're going through, I tell you, they're going through some tough things. And, and, and you can expose them to experiences and environments that will soften them up. We're taking a couple hundred kids to camp. Why do we take so many kids to camp? When they are at camp, they're a little more moldable. 
We've put them outside of the home. We put them into a a different environment. And there, it's amazing how their hearts are just somewhat a little bit more moldable and open. How many of you have had some wonderful experiences with the Lord at a camp? Just raise your hand, right? I have. I've had some wonderful mountaintop experiences. It's amazing how it just seems like I'm a little more moldable on a mountaintop. And so we have to strategically create these environments. Let me give you just a few before we leave today. The biological family is the most strategic environment that you can dial up or down. You can turn the heat up or down and make sure that your children have enough exposure to their biological family, enough time. There's generational influence that they can have. Look what Paul said to Timothy. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your who? Your grandmother. And then in your mother. He grew up in this biological family that had great influence on his spiritual walk. It's amazing. You know, I now live in the same town with my parents. Uh, That's the first time in 25 years. I'm, I think we see a little more of each other than we used to. I mean, it's amazing. You can live in the same town with your family, and really, life can pull you apart. You have to work at making sure you get time with that biological family. Second of all, you must engineer your life and make sure that your kids are exposed to a God's family, a spiritual family, a church we, Sarah and I, have over the years tried to manufacture strategically opportunities for our children to spend time with other Christian families, other Christian adults, outside even of the church environment. Because they'll have a natural desire to kind of look up to them and, and be uh, influenced by them and and we as families would, would mix our children together so that we would influence one another's kids. We need a spiritual family. Thirdly, parents, you're, you're controlling the environment. Control strategically the friendships that your children form. Now, I know that's hard. But you, you, can, uh, you can try to position that and work that. Uh, that is your job. You feel like I'm manipulating things. Well, that's your job. When they're young and they're growing up, try to expose them to good friendships. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says to Timothy, and Timothy's a grown man. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Look, jump down to verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, verse 5, but denying its power, then what does he tell Paul? I mean, Timothy, avoid such people. He says, son, don't hang out with them. They're not good friends for you. They have an appearance of godliness. They go to church... but they deny the power of it. I am am praying that my children 
will not find mates that go to church. I've never prayed that prayer. Because going to church is not the qualification. I'm praying they meet and marry people. I've prayed virtually every night of their lives that love Jesus more than they'd love them. People who love Jesus. People who love Jesus go to church. But I, I don't, churchgoers, that's not the king. Well, that's, he's a fine young man. He goes to church at least once a month over there. He's a Christian. No. Manufacture. Try to strategically. And, and listen, I said it last week. You're working with raw material that has a mind of its own. And sometimes, no matter the best of your efforts, they, in their own will and their own desire, make wrong choices, different choices. And you can discipline and you can try, but sometimes, listen, that is between them and the Lord. You do the best you can to try to build those strategic uh, friendships. Look at 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee, watch this, especially those of you who are young people, watch this, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And I've never, in fact, if I ever noticed this, I must have forgotten it, and that's why I love reading the Bible. I I remember, I, I learn it again and again. I don't remember noticing this next phrase. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I remember the flee youthful us, but what's he saying? You need to do that with some good companions, along with others. Try to find those strategic friendships. Try to build, fourthly, those strategic experiences. We have uh, made an effort in our family over the years, as our children are going up, to take them on mission trips with us local mission trips to feed the homeless downtown Atlanta, to go uh, uh, wrap gifts for for people uh, at Christmas, or we've taken each of them to the orphan work in Kenya. We have done that. We've taken them on trips, sent them on. Why? Trying our best to get them to experience reality, and when they're there, it makes their hearts moldable, those Christian experiences. But let me give you number four, and then then we'll quit. Here's number four. You've got to use the hammer sometimes. You've got to use the heat wisely. But here's what I loved watching this blacksmith. The blacksmith, I I didn't know when, but he knew when. He knew exactly when to take it out of the heat, to quit hammering, and to immerse it in the cool waters. Now, I know because I've done some research of why he does that. There's perfect timing. When it's just right, you cool it. And then he brings it out and he hammers it a little bit. And then he checks it. Then he may heat it back up to a certain degree. And then he cools it. He knows exactly when to heat it up and when to cool it. A wise parent, a wise blacksmith knows. Now's not the time to add more heat. Now's not the time to bring more hammer. Now's the time when I need to make sure they know I love them. And I bring the cool waters of grace. And they see in me the eyes of love. 
And that no matter what, they never get the idea, I'm just going to toss that piece of metal away. It's not working. And I'm going to start with something else. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to keep loving you. Know when to apply those words of encouragement and grace. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says this. Timothy, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. This is the same apostle who said, Timothy, stoke up your heart. Spirit of fear and timidity is not from the Lord. He's now saying, but I thank God every time I think of you, Timothy. Every time. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, of the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now, don't take my discipline and my firmness. I believe in my heart and am sure that that kind of sincere faith dwells where? In you. Paul was a wise blacksmith. And we should be as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for demonstrations of the need, examples of the need. We cannot hand off this divine responsibility. There's a war. There's a battle. In the spiritual realm, and just like God, our country has sent off its warriors in the physical realm, you're calling on us to send out warriors in the spiritual realm. May we not abdicate our role in shaping the future. Give us wisdom. Give us patience. Help us not to give up or run from the heat. It gets hot. We get tired. Give us grace, Lord Jesus, as parents, as grandparents, as teachers leaders we just want the next gen to win we want the next gen to win that's your vision for your church for your homes we ask for your help in Christ's name amen listen the invitation is this parents if you're an influencer In any case, the invitation is this today. Find your rest in God. Find your rest in Christ. Abide in Him. You can't do this job in your own strength. Find your rest in Him. Then rise to the challenge. Learn to use those tools. Think of that blacksmith. I've had that image in my mind for years of that blacksmith. Not hammering away in anger, but gently molding the art and the vessels for the house of God what a privilege it is and can I have the attention listen if you're a young person which is anybody younger than me I don't know where that's if you're a young person don't resist 
I know it is in our nature, all of our nature does not want to be molded, to not want to be shaped. And I think there's, that's good to a certain extent. You want to resist a little bit, but remember, your parents are under another leader. They are under the hand of God. They have a job given to them by God. Let them do their job. Try not to make it harder than it is. Ask questions. Ask questions. That'll make us work. But let them lovingly shape you and help guide you in this life. That's what we're here for. In this time of invitation, as we sing, I just invite you. It's a time of prayer. It's a time you can come to the altar if you'd like. As young people, as parents, I encourage you just bring your family forward. Pray together. Turn your home into a little smithy, a place that's developing character. Maybe that's your prayers. God, help us not help us draw things back in. Figure out how to do that. Maybe it's just confessing. I've just become a hammer, nothing else. I don't know God's word. I'm just doing, I'm just going on autopilot based on how my parents taught me. I really don't know God's word. And I need to, I need to learn to use the anvil. I don't know what the Lord said to you, but I, I know he wants you to respond in obedience right now. So let's stand together and sing. As we're singing, just say to the Lord what you need to say. You come if you need to this morning.